Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. We are hmm, hatcheting open the doors for another exciting episode with Eric from ES Invests. And I just realized this is the wrong script again. <laughs> Eric, how are you doing today? Let's just forget the script. Well, I really appreciated the the hatcheting, the doors open. I was trying to think of another adjective at the last second. It made me think of the shining. Oh. Uh, Remember when he like hacks the door open and shoves his face through? Yeah, isn't it something about coming out to play? Yeah, here's Johnny, I think is what he was the tagline. Uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the tagline <laughs> aside, I always think, I mean, what a glorious gift that would be if somebody tried to break into my house and they took the time to stick their face through the tiniest hole that they just put in the wall. Like, yeah, they probably would get away with it because I would too, I would be too busy figuring out what I wanted to kill them with that I wouldn't be able to like adequately capitalize on that situation. It'd be one of those moments where you'd just be so shocked at the audacity of it that you're just paralyzed right. by a stupor. Yeah. Not only did you hack a hole in my door, but your face is in it now. This is all very strange to me. <laughs> oh, got any news we should talk about? Or should we just BS about movies and talk about uh, the holidays? Well, the well, I mean, it's Thanksgiving. So if we're going to talk about the holiday, we just got to, I guess, talk about smallpox blankets and stuff. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, other than, that. other than murdering an indigenous culture that was very welcoming to us, that whole thing aside, how has your trading been going? I know that you said that you were paper trading for a little while, so I'm curious how that has been playing out. You know, actually, I was kind of hoping we'd talk about that a little bit. Well, I'm here to bring your hopes to reality. <laughs> I was actually finding uh, this past uh, week, I think I was feeling a, it was a bit of a struggle for me. I was feeling some issues with discipline and patience starting to creep in. 
but I was able to uh, recalibrate, refocus on Tuesday and actually closed out the week green on my paper trading. And then when I went back just to kind of take a look at the big picture, like since the reset, uh, like the great uh, emptying of the account, we'll call it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, actually sitting up uh, 270 points in basically the last month. So trading two micros, uh, showing a paper profit of 1500 bucks right now. What's the percentage return? Uh, it would be, I would be trading a $4,000 account, whatever that so, is. And you said 1500 bucks? Uh, 1478 to be exact. So 1500 bucks. I can't do like weird math like that. What is that? 37? About 37% return. Yeah. Yeah. 37, 38%. I can't do it. Whatever the, the smaller number was, I, I just went with 15. What do you think of that? I think that it feels pretty goddamn good to look at that and say, okay, this is, this is a pretty good baseline, and I know there's still a lot of room to improve that. Like, there's there's still trades that are being developed during this period. Part of what I was trying to do was collect enough data to be able to actually like say these are the setups that I'm going to trade. Uh, and then the other piece of that was after a discussion with uh, Rich Friesen in our latest Trade Runners episode um, was to be spending time trying to identify market moods and see if there's correlation between the setups and the moods to see which ones they perform better in or worse in. So it's been a lot of data collection, but uh, I feel like I'm starting to see like some of those results pay off and feeling a lot more confident after looking at the big picture stats than I was after you know a week of struggling but still finishing green. Yeah, I think there's efficacy there. One of the things whenever I hear returns like that, it always makes me like the first thing I naturally do is say, okay, 37 or 38%, whatever you want to pick annualized is like 400 and something percent return. Right. So I think we know not to say that that's impossible. I I really am like pretty against saying most things are impossible because it it is possible. Mm -hmm. I would call it very unlikely. So with that being an unlikely outcome, I then go to, so what, what, what are the implications then? If we think that that 37% you know, month over month for the entire year gets us this very high return. The propensity for that is low. So what other inferences can we make off of the performance thus far? And one of the things that comes to my mind is variance. Mm -hmm. This seems like with a very small sample size. So this is just like the initial gut reaction I have to stuff like that is I always look for where's the risk. And to me, it seems like I would want to fully understand the the risk and the impact of that variance because as we know with much higher returns we tend to expect larger variance and on a smaller account size that variance can be enough to cause a big problem i would have to look and see what the stats show on that but uh like you want to see like what the max drawdown was over that period of time like how much how much are the swings not well i my hypothesis, at least again, from like a very quick overview of it is not necessarily for that month, but what does this system do going forward, aka mm-hmm. like projecting the risk forward to understand what the severity of it is. That to me is the bigger name of the game because people can have, and I think that obviously that's an incredible return. And if you're okay with larger return volatility, then, and you can survive whatever drawdown that that system would produce, then I, I see no, no problem. 
but the initial inferences for a system like that, like I said, I, I would want to understand what risk hasn't been realized yet that would need to be imported into the forward projections mm -hmm. so that you can understand the efficacy of it. Well, it seems like the biggest risk so far is me. <laughs> um, I think we've proven that I'm the biggest risk to, to, to my trading. The the not stopping when like hitting a drawdown limit, like those kinds of those are the things that I think are the carry the biggest risk. And building that discipline really is the thing that I've been trying to work on this past month, more so than right. anything else. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that that's really good. I think I would want to, yeah, I, I would if I were in your shoes, I would be looking at things like what went right this month, right? That led mm -hmm. to the overall performance, what does the inverse of that look like? If for whatever reason, essentially what went so well, didn't go this well, how would I have deployed and what would the impact be to the account? And you can kind of project the forward looking risk off of that. Right. Because it becomes a little tricky. Like if you're deploying your strategy and then let's say you run into a string of losing trades, yep. do you, do you stop? after a few days of it and then reassess and on those days are those the days that you actually get the accommodating move and that would have essentially balanced out the volatility in the portfolio oh right 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 so just thinking through that aspect of the risk i think is really useful um anytime i see like big returns in one direction or the other i always start trying to figure out how to normalize the data set to make decisions off of it essentially I mean, honestly, I think these are kind of mild compared to uh, the, the potential that futures offer just because it's such a highly leveraged product. And this is trading micros. So like one right. point in micros is $5. And if you're risking five to 10 points per trade, that's what, 25 to 50 bucks? Yep. So it's not a whole lot of risk that's being put on on any one trade. The The risk is, like you said, like when you start to take a string of losers and start doubting yourself and then, then you, you, yeah, and missing, like not understanding why something's not working in the time and missing the times when it does work, which would have balanced out that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're dead on because you're, you're absolutely right. Futures provide big leverage, which can help us when it works, but it also obviously really hurts us when it doesn't work. Yep. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I always say leverage giveth and leverage taketh. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think that that I'm, I'm stoked, you know, that you're starting to get your groove but yeah, that, that would be the main thing if I were to, to offer a completely unsolicited, you know, piece of input it's mm -hmm. to figure out where the risk is and how is the risk realized yes. because that is obviously you have one side of the equation down which is dope the you know the system that you're deploying worked well in this market you know that, that you set it through which is perfect i think it starts to as you get additional months and additional samples to build out you can make much better overall infer inferences about the strategy but in the meantime you kind of have to just rely on estimations yeah. and use using assumptions well uh, yeah that's why there's a lot of focus on trying to identify the the market moods like what kind of market right. are we in is it volatile is it trending is it range bound 
uh, like being able to identify those types of things early on and also having the data to say, okay, this setup has a much higher profit expectancy when those conditions are present or this setup doesn't work in these conditions. Like this is a losing proposition in this case. Like maybe I don't want to take opening range breakout trades when there's no volatility like this week. Right. So those are the kinds of things that, yeah, I'm, I'm working on trying to understand. And I think that if, I think that should help mitigate some of those risks. Those, like being able to identify the scenarios where those drawdowns are likely should help limit them in the future, right? For sure. I, I think that that's going down the right path. The, the main things I think about with that is how does the system work when it starts to get tested, you know, to, to the risk side? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like you said, there's obviously a lot of human input that goes into it. And yep. beyond the human input, we have to think through the math on okay, it's working now and I'm able to deploy this kind of approach because it's working. If it's not working, what happens to the way that I deploy and what's the impact on the overall, you know, total efficacy of the strategy essentially is the way that I think about it. Yeah. Because, you know, when it's working, obviously we feel confident we can throw them on. But if you run into a string of losers, I think that's where we have to like really think, okay, like how would I genuinely react to this? Mm-hmm. And what's the impact to the PL of the strategy? Because right now there is the potential that you received, you know, good directional accommodation from the market, but you know, there's obviously no guarantee that that would hold into perpetuity. Yep. So, so then it, it's just a function of thinking through how you would potentially react to it. And as long as you can model that out and keep the same expectancy, then I think you're, you're onto something pretty solid. It's actually a really good point because we talked about like stop losses and like, you know, daily drawdown limits and things like that. But having an actual plan for when a strategy starts to not work anymore, because all strategies have a shelf life, especially like when you're you're trading futures, like things aren't going to work forever. So how do we identify when that's starting to happen and how do we how do we move forward from that rather than just yeah. continuing to try to throw money into a losing proposition? Yeah. Because, I mean, I can give you a prime time example that earlier this year, I was trading a lot of short days to expiration, um, SPX volatility plays. So things mm-hmm. like short straddles, stuff like that. And I was raking in like pretty good money over the course of like three weeks. I probably pulled in close to like 120K. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of three trading days with consecutive losing trades, that 120 literally turned into like 30 plus 30. Right. That's it. Right. And according to my plan, I was supposed to simply continue to deploy. Mm-hmm. And I deviated from the plan because I was just like, I feel like based on what I'm seeing in the market right now, there's some sort of anomaly that's not incorporated into my plan. If I keep doing this, I run the risk of essentially zeroing out. Mm-hmm. Well, at least like what I was going to allocate to that. And sure as shit, you know, the next day would have been a winning trade. The day after that would have been a winning trade. And then the next two days after that would have been losing trades. Mm-hmm. So then, you, you know what I mean? I have to like sit there and look at the math and say, okay, like, would this have worked? Would this not have worked? What do I need to look at more in depth in order to alleviate some of this trending risk that essentially breaks this strategy so that it doesn't work in this environment? But I mean, I went through a period where like, for like three weeks, I couldn't miss. Like every time I put the trade on, and these were short trades. So it's like either zero DTE, one DTE, two DTE, meaning, you know, I'm putting on several of these each week. And it's just the hit rate was obviously through the roof, but sooner or later, the, what, 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 what the hell is the saying? Something comes home to roost. The roosters come home to roost something roosts somewhere. I always just say it works till it doesn't, but 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm I was going for the the farmer colloquial saying something goes to roost somewhere and the roosting happened and all of a sudden the trade stopped working essentially, but it, it didn't stop working realistically. Right. It's an aggregate trade. So it needs to be deployed consistently over time. Da 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 da. Moral of the story being I was simply deferring risk. And the risk part of the strategy started to come through. And mm-hmm. luckily, the strategy was built such that it could withstand that risk. But when I look at a strategy that that you're deploying, maybe it does have that built in. I'm just bringing this point for that exact purpose to make sure that that it is built in when the risk starts to come through. And there's a clear definitive plan on when we get trending risk on how you want to behave. No, those are great, great comments. Uh, definitely something that I need to to consider going forward for sure. I was actually going to ask you too, do you think that when you were in the middle of that three week period and every trade was working, like, do you think that overconfidence maybe started to play a role in the drawdown that came afterwards? No. Were you taking anything that maybe you shouldn't have, or maybe you would have considered more risky, like, you know, when you're developing it versus when you're executing? Honestly, no. Mm -hmm. At this point, the the strategy is, is, I I mean, I, I literally have spent hundreds of hours not only shaping it, but then also deploying it over the years. Mm-hmm. So I essentially know what I'm looking for. I know how it's supposed to work. I know the way to deploy it. And it just so happened again, like sooner or later, we come into different periods of risk exposure. And, and this just so happened to be a period of time where I started hitting outsized risk realization days in succession, like all mm-hmm. three days that I lost in a row um, following the successful like three week period or whatever they were all literally like two standard deviation plus moves each day. Right. 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 Super okay. unlikely. Yeah. The probability of one of those happening is very low. The probability of two lower still, the probability of three of those happening in succession is astronomically low. The problem is though, it's a, you're talking about a percentages type game and the longer you play it, the more likely you are to see those types of scenarios play out. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. And making sure that the strategy can survive through them, or at least that there's some sort of controls in place to prevent inversion, I think is really important. But that, but that's exactly it. And the other thing we obviously know about markets is that it's not a standard bell curve, right? It, it has kurtosis and we have fatter tails. So that means that those quote unquote unlikely events actually are more likely than we model them out to be typically. Mm. So, yeah. Let me ask you another question about the the drawdown period. When you stopped, was that because you lost confidence in your setup? And how did you get that back? Because I assume you still use this this setup because it sounds like it you, you proved it out uh, after reanalyzing everything. Yeah. So the reason why I stopped it is because I had other strategies that were just working. Mm-hmm. So I, if I wanted to be just more mechanical technically. And if I wanted to just try to get the strategy to work as it's designed long term, I would have continued to deploy it provided that the structure for the trade was there, you know, the conditions for me to enter, which on several of those days, I I shared four days afterwards where two would have been losers, two would have been winners. And of those four days, three of them would have been um, reasonable to trade based on the criteria. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't it didn't matter to me um, because this is why I always say the trader has the last say. Like I had other strategies and other products that were working more successfully. So I could have continued to deploy it in that original product and, you know, say la vie, let the numbers work out as they will. But I saw a better opportunity elsewhere. So I just pivoted essentially. That's another good point too. It helps to have more than just one setup that you've developed too. 
Got like you, you want to have a, a like there's something to be said about mastering like one thing before moving on and trying to add another tool to your toolbox. But eventually we want to get to the point where we have a toolbox and we can look at it and say, okay, what's the best tool for this job? Bingo. And then we can turn around and deploy that. Yep. That's exactly it. 100%, one, mm-hmm. literally 100% how I feel about it. I have probably five to six total strategies that I, I never really consider myself like a master of anything, but I definitely have them very well developed. Like I've been trading them like straight up for over a decade. So they're built well and I'm very familiar with them. I'm always, always optimizing them though. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I have those six strategies, the reason why I say five to six is because they're kind of like permutations, slight variations between one another. So it's not like they're completely different things. Right. But anyways, right. the reason why I do that is I want something for three different directions, bullish, bearish, neutral. I want something for two different volatility environments. Or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, three different volatility environments, high implied volatility, low implied volatility, flat implied volatility. So that's essentially how I arrive at six. I have a strategy that works for each of those discreetly and then a combination of them, essentially. Tell me more about the third volatility option, flat. What does that mean? Like, what's the difference between that and low volatility? So low volatility is, at least the way that I define it, is when volatility is relatively low compared to itself. So you could use something like IV percentile. Mm-hmm. Flat volatility to me is when volatility may be elevated on a relative basis, but not trending or moving one direction or another. So it could be in a clustering phase. Okay. Because it, we're, we're seeing that actually right now in the market, where if we look at the implied volatility percentile of IWM, I just happen to have it up right now, and the implied volatility percentile is 6%. So that means 15 of the last 252 trading days were lower than it is right now. Very low, relative right. speaking, okay. to where it's been for the past year. However, comma, it is still quite elevated as a raw implied volatility metric compared to where it's been over the past four years. So implied volatility percentile is low when we're looking at, again, essentially the past year. But if we plot out the implied volatility over the past four years, it's still actually very elevated. So this is kind of a flat implied volatility environment for me, where we're near low in terms of, again, implied volatility percentile, but on a longer term basis, we're still elevated. Does does volatility change? Um, let me see if I can word this the right way. Volatility is based on the percentages, right? It has nothing to do with the actual value of the moves. Like just because the S&P is trading at 4,000 now versus 2,000 four years ago, like a volatility number should mean the same thing on either one of those scenarios. Yeah, that, that's correct. So okay. essentially the way to think about, yeah, volatility is it's just distribution around a mean. It's mm-hmm. the same, like we use volatility in trading and everybody always immediately equates it to fear, but we use volatility in everything regarding statistics and it, it's just distribution about a mean. The more distribution, the greater the volatility is. Ah, that makes sense. Oh, you got any other big wisdom you can drop on me? No, I promised you that I was going to talk less, so that's it. I know, it's funny. We're supposed to talk about the news, and we just used up the whole time talking about trading stuff. Way cooler, in my opinion. I know. Uh, I'm just going to say we should probably just close up shop and fucking call it a day. Well, we can't close the shop because you hatcheted the door, so that's really <laughs> short-term thinking on your side. 
All right. Well, in that case, it uh, looks like I'm heading to the hardware store to go pick up a new door. There we <laughs> go. Yeah, like, I got to board it up. I'd like to say thanks to everybody who uh, stuck around with us. I know we didn't get to talk about any of the big stories, but uh, I mean, honestly, it's Thanksgiving. Forget about the markets for a few days. Go enjoy your families. Think about things that you're thankful for. And uh, maybe have a pour one out for the, for the natives who, who didn't fare so well from the Thanksgiving. Yeah, we didn't really do them super solid on that. No, but we didn't really do too many people super solid who used to live in this geography. I mean, nobody did anybody really solid. You know, there is a pretty, pretty long period of time where it's about dominating all of the space around you. So kind of brutal. People are kind of shitty, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the world is rough or something weird, right? <laughs> Strange. <laughs> it's concepts. a rooster eat rooster world out there. <laughs> All right, we'll be back uh, at you guys soon with another exciting episode. We should have one out, coming out this Friday. Uh, but until then, I'd like to say, check out Eric ES Invests. Check out his YouTube channel. Links for that in the episode description. Eric, you want to you wanna leave us with some words of wisdom? Bye. Like, share, subscribe? Any, anything like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say goodbye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.